0: Hello and welcome to Court Games, a podcast for the Legend of the Five Rings community, funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon.
1: This podcast will focus on the role-playing games, stories, and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Kova. I'm Kikita Kaori, and we have some amazing
2: guests today.
0: First of all, we have got uh, Katrina Ostrander, and we also have...
2: Hi, everyone. And we also have Max
0: Brook. Hello.
1: Uh, And today, uh, Katrina and Max have come on here to talk to us about Intrigues, because they are new for very many players of many kinds of role-playing games, and we are excited to learn exactly how they
0: work. There are indeed a lot of questions about them, and given that Max, I believe, has written most of the rules for them. I wrote um, uh, most all
3: of the rules for most everything, so...
0: I hope we will, we will get be able to shine some light on this particular topic, and uh, hopefully everyone will be running loads of intrigues and be having loads and loads of fun with it. Or at least you'll know who to blame if you aren't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that sounds about right.
1: Before we begin, uh, Katrina, we know you as lead story for Legends of the Five Rings. Um, but Max, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and the role you play with FFG and Legends of the Five so, Rings? So,
3: uh funny thing about this is that uh, i my formal title has been miniatures game developer for four years um uh and uh, most of my time is spent working on the x-wing miniatures game and other uh, miniatures games uh we make but uh rpgs are really a passion of mine they're how i got into the company and they're what i did for the first five years i was there um and uh you know, so it's something I really wanted to do, and when the opportunity to work on l Five R with Cat came along, I wanted to jump on that. So for the core book, I wrote most of the rules. Pretty much anything Cat didn't write. Um, For uh, the expansions, I uh, did not actually write most of the rules, but I did give sort of rules direction and guidance. So uh, developers like Tim Cox and Tim Huckleberry and Alexis and Sam Stewart um, all uh, did the rules, but I was sort of there to give them some direction on it and, you know, sort of help keep things on track. Um, So I guess my role overall has been sort of rules continuity and rules sort of like philosophy and development throughout.
2: Max is like our syntax master. He will go through and make sure that the word order is specifically correct, capitals correct, hyphens correct, periods, punctuation.
0: Yeah, you want to make sure that all the the right game terms, because you don't want an intrigue with a lowercase i, because everyone will think that's just any old thing, but intrigue with a capital I. You know, you mean the game mechanics.
3: Well, game term capitalization is a whole special hell that we don't need to get into.
0: (laughs) It's Yes, special is, I think, very much the word. So uh, the basic question we want to answer here, I guess, is what are intrigues? How do you run them? What are they for?
3: So yeah, this is a great question, because intrigues are not, it's not like a combat encounter, where it's just sort of an easy, you know, like, everybody knows this from all the RPGs they've played, it's a little bit different. Certainly we are not the first role-playing game to have social combat, or conflict, or you know, like, interaction mechanics, Um, but uh, most role-playing games don't have them, they just sort of say, oh, there's a charm skill, and you roll it, and if you roll, you know, over your number, or under your number, or over the enemy's number or whatever, they do whatever you want.
2: Um, Or if you have something where um, they just assume that it's all going to be done through Mm. role-playing, that's another, like, common sort of assumption is that, oh, well, you can just have a conversation for that and the GM can arbitrate it. Yeah.
3: And it's interesting how often, too, that isn't even stated. A lot of games don't even bother to state that. Um, they yeah. just, uh, have, you know, like, yep, here's your rule for charm, you know, charm or intimidate or what have you. And they don't even really say like, you're allowed to, you know, talk and come up with your own answer. But yeah. because there isn't enough structure, people are sort of able to say, okay, clearly that must be the case. So intrigues are a little different. Um, and they have a couple of roles, uh, and they're going to do different things for different groups, which I think is sort of one good thing to think about because, People play L5R for a lot of different reasons in a lot of different ways. So the first group that intrigues are really meant to serve is, you know, there are definitely groups and people out there who prefer not to talk as much in their character's voice and prefer to sort of, you know, mechanize that in the same way that, you know, I don't necessarily describe all the strikes of my sword, though I might... But like, you know, I don't have to be a good martial artist to play a good martial artist in a game. I don't have to be a good speaker to play a good speaker in a game.
0: I think that's actually also something that comes up, especially in L5R, because it is such a different setting to the role-playing games most people play, D&D and Western-based, European-based fantasy. And that's also the films we watch and the TV shows we watch tend to be Western-based, European, medieval-ish fantasy, but El are so different, it can be kind of intimidating to say, well, I'm going to be very polite, only I don't actually know how to do that in this setting.
3: Definitely. And so part of having the structure of intrigues and social objectives is to sort of give people some mechanics to, you know, sort of like as a, a you know, a handrail there, essentially. It gives them some guidance on how things can function, and it gives them a way to move that forward. So that's that's one route. Um, another option for intrigues, because I do like talking in funny voices, um, and that is the way I, I personally like to play, um, uh, is for any sort of encounter where you have essentially complicated social stuff going on. So this is probably the most common use case for incau- uh, intrigues, I'd say. And I mean, in the intrigue section, we even talk a little bit about this and say, you know, like, you don't need to bust out an intrigue for every conversation. And you know, we have a margin note about when to use intrigues. And it's like, for a conversation between two people, an intrigue is probably overkill. Um,
2: oh, yeah. Or even, like, when the party is all on the same page and they're meeting with, like, one or maybe one or two NPCs and they're all just kind of going around the room and speaking in character and maybe making a couple of checks, an intrigue is also potentially overkill in that situation.
3: So an intrigue really does its best work when you have a fairly complicated situation with different groups of people who want different things at the same time and are all pursuing them. And you as the GM need to be able to track, okay, so Luna wants their character to try to seduce this person for role-playing reasons, so that's what they're off doing. Uh, Jesse wants his character to be pushing forward this agenda that he has to cause this other person problems because of a personal grudge and Corey is actually trying to move the plot forward with his character and get uh, some information about this cultist the group is looking for. And you know, Mm -hmm. normally when you would throw that out to a group, it can be a little difficult to keep track of like, okay, what progress has each person made? Where is each person doing stuff? And that's why we have the social objectives. Uh, Now, the social objectives are not meant to be a prescriptive list. Um, They're meant to be examples. Um, So, you know, oftentimes you'll want to come up with a social objective sort of on the spot and figure out, like, okay, maybe this is sort of like an appeal, but, you know, it's going to play a little differently because of this romantic history between the two characters. So it's more of, like, a rekindle an old relationship and you might want to, you know, modify the skills involved or whatever. Or maybe, um, you know, like, this uh, discredit is really more like it's not so much about discrediting the reputation. It's more about provoking them into a particular rash action you want them to take. Um,
2: and I think the, another big distinction here is that whatever you're trying to do feels like there should be more of an obstacle or more weight to the difficulty than a single check. Yes.
3: Okay. Um, yeah, so if one person just wants to run around doing a small number of things, you might not assign them an objective at all. Potentially. If they just, like... Someone's just in the scene doing stuff. Maybe they don't have an objective. Um, Now, if nobody has an objective in the scene, that's a good indicator that you shouldn't be running an intrigue. Um, uh, Intrigues are really objective-oriented. People need things to do. And if someone doesn't... If if there aren't, like, multiple conflicting... Sort of things people want to get done... An intrigue might be unnecessary. Mm -hmm. And it might be better resolved with just checks or role-playing. I mean... You can also use, you know, objectives and the sort of momentum tracking system for a more linear thing. If you want to have multiple checks stack up toward a particular, you know, uh, narrative goal.
2: I, if you've, if, so one potential touch point that people can use when thinking about intrigues, if they've played other role-playing games, is that in Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition, there were these things called skill challenges, Hmm. and if you have any experience with a skill challenge, it's basically you need to get X number of successes before Y number of failures. And in this, Intrigues is basically the GM has assigned the number of successes you need, and you can do that through a variety of types of checks, and then you achieve your objective. But again, it's it's more complicated and requires more effort than just a, a single thing. but. As a GM, you can also rule that you don't want to do an intrigue, that you just want to, like, have all of the seduction kind of boil down to a single check. But maybe it's more interesting if it's happening over an entire evening, you know, a little bit of flirtation there, like, you know, a a Mm -hmm. private moment there. um, That's why you would make multiple checks.
1: (laughs) All right. Sounds good. You said, was there a third kind of group that situation you do intrigues?
3: Um, uh, I, what was I thinking about? I did have a third example. Um, oh, yeah, um, an intrigue, uh, so it, it, we don't explicitly call this out, but I do think it is a, it's a thing I've done a bunch of times and it does work. You can basically embed other, an intrigue into other types of scene or other types of scene into an intrigue. So for instance, if you've got one character dueling, maybe the other characters should be engaging in an intrigue around them because everybody's acting in the same narrative time frame you don't have to worry about the sort of classic Shadowrun Decker problem of one person taking 18 actions for the other you know everyone else's one Um, because it's all happening in the same sort of like time scale
2: yeah I rely a lot on intrigues um, as a way to do structured time so to throw my party into an initiative order um, so I can literally jump around them because like at a banquet or even like a poetry competition where some people are competing and other people are sitting and watching and other people are hanging out somewhere else. I want to be able to kind of go in order, give, share spotlight time with all of my player characters and having an initiative order is a really great way to do that.
0: Yeah, I think that's okay. a, a very much an, an uh, issue that comes into that.
1: Well, does an intrigue always need an opponent or if, how do you do it, social scenes if no one is actively opposing you? But maybe they aren't inclined to agree with you either. Like you have a, a bunch of villagers that uh, you're trying to persuade. That seems like a good intrigue thing. But the intrigues have a TN of a vigilance of your opponent. And we get really confused about the TNs for intrigues.
3: Well, one thing to keep in mind...
1: Or momentum. One,
3: one thing about... Um... Oh, sorry. Did you were you gonna say something else?
1: Uh, I said, or TN isn't right. Uh, momentum points goal is is being focus or vigilance.
3: That's a recommended starting point, but the GM should modify that based on what makes sense. Um, and that's sort of a general rule that like TNs are not cast in stone. Like the GM can always modify the TN if it's appropriate, um, and should feel free to do so if there's you know like snow on the roof that makes it harder to leap onto it. And, you know, then the GM should increase the TN to leap onto the roof. Um, same is true for setting momentum. i um, uh, if you know.
2: Yeah. I think that's difficulty number in the text. Yeah.
3: Yes. Um,
2: yeah. I think you should definitely vary that based off of what feels good for how many times you want people to roll. Um, and you might, you know, as a GM, all the time I will change the number of you know successes or momentum points needed based off of how things are going to keep things interesting and exciting and I just don't tell the players that I'm cheating for them
0: yeah yeah you never tell them yeah yeah, exactly you don't
3: tell the players the monster hit points right is that what you're gonna say basically yeah no I, I think that's exactly right um So, uh, so yes, back to your question though, Kaori. Um, uh, so you wanted to know sort of what if somebody wants something? Well, I think what you have to ask yourself in that situation is what does the other person want? Um, the goals don't have to be contradictory, but they have to be sort of interacting in some way. So for instance, Hmm. the samurai want to convince these peasants to, you know, help fight off bandits. The peasants, uh, want to convince the samurai to do it for them, maybe. Maybe they want to convince the samurai to pay them to do it. Maybe they want to convince, you know, like, the maybe they have some other objective entirely, but, you know, sort of like everybody has things they want. And so you f- need to figure out what does that person or group want in this situation, and then that should relate to their objective or become their objective.
0: Right, um, so it doesn't, it's not necessarily um, they're trying to stop the other people or stop the players but they may be trying to do something that might get in the way. Exactly.
2: Or something different. Yeah, because I,
0: yeah, I was thinking like if the 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 PCs want to help the, the village or something, and the villagers are desperately trying to hide the fact that they have an illegal distillery.
3: Yes, that's a great example. Um, mm-hmm. The other good option there too is pull one or two people out of that crowd and make them specific personalities with specific goals. So for instance... Let's say that, like, one person in that crowd really wants the villagers to run away because they think Mm. they're all going to die if they fight. And then somebody else has a personal goal of really wanting to protect one specific person. So they don't care really about what happens Mm -hmm. to the group, but they want to make sure that this person isn't put in danger. And then suddenly you have some conflicting goals that... Probably can all be satisfied. Maybe not the running away and fighting, but many mm-hmm. of the goals might be able to be satisfied together. And you can have an intrigue where everybody achieves their goal, but you could, you still have the you know like people want different things are going to okay, be pursuing those things.
0: Yeah, that does make sense.
1: Okay, so but it does sound like. An intrigue always needs, if not, a direct opponent, an opposing person with an opposing motivation. It
3: doesn't have to be opposing. It just has to be substantial enough that they're going to pursue it in a way, pursue it or try to leverage you to help with it or it's going to add a wrinkle to the scene. If if so, like a good example of like not a great intrigue is you trying to convince your lord to give you a particular item that you need to do your job. It's probably not a great intrigue unless your lord really doesn't want to give you that item for some interesting reason. And that's why we have the requisitioning rules where you just make a check instead of doing a full Mm. scene for that. Because most of the time, it's probably not that interesting. Your lord's like, yeah, you can have a Naginata, bring it back when you're done. It was my grandfather's and I care a lot about it, you know.
0: Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Um, An example of a published adventure where you're running an intrigue, but you don't necessarily you're not necessarily working against someone is actually the opening scene to Winter's Embrace. Because one of the social objectives, if you run that scene as an intrigue, is be a model guest, which Kikida Dioku, who is hosting you, she doesn't want you to fail. She doesn't want you to embarrass yourself Mm. at the tea ceremony that she invited you but as a GM, I want to show that, like, this is a three-hour extremely formal tea ceremony. And what's interesting is that if you have the, you know, bumbling Bushi or the bumbling Shugenja, who's really not going to do a great job at participating in that ceremony by having the be a model guest um, sort of objective out there it means that their courtier friend can like help cover for them in Mm -hmm. the performance skill um, in order to help them accumulate successes so that they still look good even if it was another character covering for them but in that case there's literally no one is opposing them it's just that it requires more checks in order to succeed at this you know thing of, of looking good throughout the entire tea ceremony and making a good impression on your host Okay.
0: alright that does sense and so I mean that so you can end up with people so you don't necessarily need to have an opponent it can be as simple it, no. that can be more like the skill challenge that you were mentioning
2: yeah that's that's how I kind of use the intrigue structure at least
3: mm. when, when I'm prepping an intrigue what I generally do is I, um, I take a couple of factors and then I just sort of shake them together so yeah. First of all, I, I figure out, you know, like, who are the players in this scene? Like, who, who are the, like, significant people that either PCs have met before or I intend them to interact with? And I'll figure out, you know, sort of what do those people want out of the scene? So, you know, you've got, like, you've got this person who, you know, like, committed a murder who wants to cover it up. You've got the, you know, like, corrupt detective who wants to cover up the murder for different reasons, uh, you've got the, you know, like peasant who just doesn't want to get, you know, like their life ruined by this, you know, these events, um, uh, but has, uh, important information that the PCs might want. Um, and then, you know, I throw in somebody who wants to stir the pot, you know, essentially somebody who's going to create chaos. Um, and usually the PCs can be relied to bring some of that to the table too, but, um,
0: yeah yeah I was wondering why you needed a special NPC for that well, i
3: like I like to do it because you target it at one of the you you give the pcs a hook to do that for you by targeting at one of their Ninja or giri. So you pick, mm. you know, like, oh, well, so you know, the easiest route would be to like just let this case, you know, be open and shut, let the murderer go free, not the right route, but the easiest route. but on, t- yeah. but then you throw in the you know, the wrinkle of like, somebody's, you know, like, old flame wants the murder solved and is in the scene. Or is just in the scene and has nothing to do with the murder, but they're stirring up chaos because suddenly somebody's old flame is back on the scene.
0: (laughs) Right. Okay. So I think another question we've got here is, because you can have several different people with several different motivations, and thus... Different PCs and sometimes different NPCs can have different social objectives with different momentum point targets, which means mm-hmm. somebody could wrap their stuff up quickly before other people, and that can end up – I think that can end up with some people saying, like, well, I've done my thing. I'll just it, be twiddling my thumbs for a bit.
3: Yeah, and at that point, um, you know, in some cases, you just say, okay, you know, wait for the end of the scene. Other times, you could let them start up a new social objective if, for some reason, they just rolled out of their shoes – And got, you know, uh, and got something done in one turn that you thought was going to take them five. um, uh, You could give them a new objective, or they could jump on and help someone else's objective. um, uh, Or they could just role play in the scene. And you could just, you know, every now and then you go back to them in the order and you just say, hey, what are you up to at the party? You know, oh, you have a chance to chat up some interesting person and you, you know, like can use this to get a connection you can use later or something. So you can just throw in some like interesting background details or whatever. Um, Mm. Usually, though, when my players uh, run out of um, things to do to uh, help the group, they uh, take to doing things to uh, lightly undermining each other, let's say. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, Well, a lot of our intrigues seem to be based on uh, scoring, whether you or your opponent or each character scores the most points. As long as a character was is in the scene, that, that sends the boundary. There's also a natural time limit for many things, you know, involving people's strife. Um, what kind of ways should we make a time limit that we should be using to see how long a character is? I mean, if it goes too long, everyone's either striving out or getting bored. Uh, if it goes too short, well, it can go really short if you roll well, really well, but... Um, How how do we set the time limits for how long these intrigues last?
3: Do you want to go first on this one, Kat? I can.
2: Yeah. So I feel very strongly that there shouldn't be a defined time limit um, to the intrigue other than what is narratively appropriate for how long it would take to achieve that objective. So in my previous example, that intrigue is meant to cover an in-game span of three hours, a banquet or a competition could cover an in-game span of six hours. Um, in Max's investigation example, depending on how much abstracting you're doing, so you know how much you're summarizing what your characters are doing versus role-playing out every moment, it could be 24 hours. Um, I also wouldn't be opposed to handling an intrigue over a downtime period of two weeks. Um, I guess
1: I mean when I ask how long, I mean how many dice rolls.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that can be a, a not so much the how long does this take in narrative in narrative time? How many how many rounds? I guess I think is.
2: Yeah.
3: So I do have some thoughts on that. I usually.
2: Yeah, go ahead. I usually something.
3: tell the players outright at the beginning how many rounds they have for mm-hmm. this intrigue It's like okay, you're at this. You know, like you're you're at. The, I, I will create some sort of like reasonable artificial uh you know thing like you're at this party things are gonna go for you know like this many hours that gives you five rounds to do stuff um uh -hmm. and uh and that usually helps focus them because then they can sort of come up with a plan of like okay I'm gonna like talk to this person then I'm gonna talk to this person then I'm gonna talk to this person and I always try to encourage people to do you know to do different things than they did in the previous round like you know don't just sort of like keep appealing to somebody but rather like appeal to one person and then like i'll make it easier if they like try to appeal to a different person to build a coalition rather than just trying to like hit the same person over and over again um yeah, i
0: think yeah i think that it kind of has to be you have to do that i think they i think that's a general rule in skill challenges as well it could be but they, the idea that okay you've done as much as you can you've got all the momentum points you can from that thing now you have to do a different thing because i think that mixes things up
3: yeah The other thing you can do in there, too, is if you give them... And this is a nice place to put Ninjo against Giri and have some fun with that. Or Past, if you're playing Path of Waves. um, uh, Is to give them, say, you know, like, okay, you've got five rounds. You know, figure out how far they are. And then on round three, have some person from their, you know, like, from their past. Or somebody who relates to what they want to do walk into the scene. And now suddenly they have to, like, recalculate, like... All right, I I think I'm doing okay. Do I have a round to waste talking to this person who I really want to talk to?
0: Yes, the 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 act <laughs> the act three twist.
3: Exactly. Um. Uh. But I usually tell them outright how many rounds they have. Now, you know, again, you can always say like extenuating circumstances or narrative or appropriate narrative things allow that to expand. If somebody decides to light the building on fire, the party's going to wrap up early.
0: Yeah. If yeah.
3: somebody wants to spend their time doing that, I could let somebody like stall the party as like an objective that they're trying to solve that'll buy more time for other people.
0: Yes, can, can my social objective be adding another round for the people who are actually good at this stuff to do better?
3: Absolutely, that would be a great, like create a distraction or, you know, like, uh, I don't know, drink somebody under the table or be the life of the party.
2: S- <laughs> start the unicorn traveling yes. song. We-
0: waylay the servant bringing the tea so that the, they have to talk longer until the servant brings the tea.
3: Exactly.
1: So it sounds like, from what you said, that uh, you gave an example of five rounds. Um, So, like,
2: two to seven rounds or something like that would probably be... That
3: would be my general ballpark.
1: Yeah.
2: I wouldn't do more than seven, generally, because I feel like that's going to stretch your intrigue to, like, an hour and a half of, like, actual real-world game time. Mm. Uh Uh-huh. And... Like, most of my intrigues run between, like, 45 minutes and an hour and 15 minutes, and especially when I'm running games at convention, um, I've I really got to keep my eye on the clock for how long a given encounter is going to be, and so I might, you know, err on the side of lower and maybe do, like, three, and then, you know, depending on what people are, are up to and how familiar they are with the system, that'll usually get me, like, through an hour.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm. That's
2: what I was looking for. Thank yeah. <laughs> you.
3: And, and the other thing you can do as well is you can always have an intrigue that goes on ice. You can have an intrigue that gets, you know, like partway through and then like, oh, tea is served. Everybody has to stop. You know, oh, we go on this hunt. Okay, now we come mm. back and we're politicking more. People are fresh, you know, but you're still you, pursuing you can, the same goals. There's no reason you we, can't put an intrigue on yeah, pause. Yeah.
0: You can resume the intrigue when the fire's been put out or whatever.
3: Exactly. Or, or even have an intrigue that you plan as like a you know, multi, you know, multi-encounter multi mm. thing. Um, nothing really prevents that in the mechanics. So.
0: Yeah, I suddenly realized that when we say time limit, there's, there's literally the narrative time, how long it takes in terms of the character's perception, how many rounds it takes, which is the number of dice you roll, and also the real-world time limit. And <laughs> I think you have to take all of those into account and i presume the limits are going to be different for each group because some people are going to say no we're fine spending 3 hours doing this, this is great and some people are going no 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 half an hour get it done
2: i think it <laughs> yeah that's where it's good to have skills or like read up on pacing as a gm in general because like you can pretty much gauge your player's interest and speed things up as necessary or you know savor the moment if people are really enjoying themselves like you mm. said
3: that's also something where, like, con games versus home games and yeah. just your number of players is going to vary a lot, too. I mean, it, it's yeah. interesting because I've run L5R with, you know, as many as six people. I've run it with uh, as few as three players, um, and uh, you just get a very different feel. You know, if you are running mm-hmm. with six people, a two-hour-long intrigue is a pretty tough sell because most a two-hour-long anything is a pretty tough sell because most yeah. of that's going to be downtime mm-hmm. for most of the players. Um, combat, at least, you have a bit of the sort of like role players' expectation of that, um, you know. But with yeah. intrigues, you know, I will I probably plan them a little snappier because I know they'll slop, they'll bog down a little more. By contrast, yeah. if you have three players, I'm happy to let one person, uh, you know, like pursue their romantic subplot for 20 minutes because everybody knows that you know they're going to get their turn quickly, not in you know 100 minutes potentially.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think yeah uh, with with the combat at least you you sometimes you have the tactical situation to look at. Yes. Whereas not so much with intrigues, I don't think.
3: Yeah, there's a, there's all they're a little bit tactical, little bit. but not yeah. not not like a combat. No, definitely not. And they're not really intended to be as you know tactically heavy as combat.
2: Yeah, I've actually found that um, running L Five R Fifth Edition at several conventions, probably between uh, probably like a dozen times at this point. I'm really settling on like four players as a sweet spot and five gets unwieldy and I've just stopped running tables for six mm. at conventions. It's it's too hairy, I think.
0: Yeah, I think a, a lot... I mean, it is quite interesting. People have been saying that especially fifth edition is tends you tend to want smaller groups than like your D&Ds and, and such like.
3: I'll admit I've been finding myself preferring smaller groups to D&D too. Mm. Like... I I think the only big group role-playing games that I, I these days, would sort of, like, go to are the, like, very light ones or the very Mm purpose-built ones, like Fiascos and Dusk City Outlaws and stuff like that, where it's sort of, like, so structured that you can really manage a big group more easily.
0: Yeah.
3: Like, even D&D, like, I have players who I can't get to play D&D anymore because they're like, I'm not waiting 50 minutes in combat for my turn, and I'm like, yeah, that's fair.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think we can... Kind of, right, so I'm going to move on. I think we've touched on this a little bit, but um, it's really this... What kind of social situations, what kind of uh, circumstances like really really kind of scream to you, you should make this an intrigue? And vice versa, which ones would you say, no, as soon as... No, no, this would not be an intrigue. Just things that really, really cry out for making it.
3: You want to go first on this one, Kat, or you want me to? Uh,
2: I think you can All go right. first.
3: Um... <laughs> Uh, so, yes, in terms of what sort of cries out for an intrigue, I mean, again, I think anything where a character, a a number of characters have, um, like, interesting different goals, um, and different things going on. Now, all the PCs could be unified, there could be other groups, maybe it's more of, like, a faction game, where, like, each faction has their own agenda, and there's a couple people from each faction, Um, uh, You can also have the thing where, I mean, I think intrigues work best in groups where you have the PCs maybe potentially even opposing each other because intrigues give a real structure to that and allow you to have some clarity where normally if PCs start opposing each other or even, like, lightly undermining each other in social encounters, it just sort of bogs things down. In this case, everybody can be pushing their thing. So, like, somebody can be trying to, like, ferret out their rival's you know, qualities as a you know like fighter because they want to defeat them in battle at some point. While that person is trying to appeal to somebody, and someone else is trying to you know actually get the group to get paid or something. Um, uh, so it gives you the ability to track those like player on player, not necessarily like you know trying to kill each other, but trying to like act against each other or against each other's interests in certain ways. Uh, so I think that's like one place it works well. But obviously, it works well when you have npcs were doing that to each other as well um it works well if you want to show strife within a faction so for instance you know you go to a negotiation and you want to show that like yeah the lion clan you know like will claim a unified front but you know one person wants you know like this you know like very specific village taken back because it was their you know like ancestor's village and they feel strongly about that and they're You know, their boss doesn't care as much about that. They want, you know, like, some other more significant objective. Maybe they don't even want to go to war. They just want an economic concession of some kind. And then there's a third person who is trying to, you know, like, push a completely different agenda. Even though they're all within the same group, they all want the best for the Lion Clan. Because that creates something that the players can sort of bounce off of and exploit. And be like, oh, well, we want to avoid a war. So maybe we actually throw in behind... You know this moderate who wants to you know like deal with this with some sort of you know economic resolution um, or whatever or or maybe we w- do want a war and we want to you know like help this firebrand within the enemy camp so that you know we have Casius Belly um, uh, and so it gives you the ability to portray the like the nuances of the setting um, uh, when you know like yes. Everyone in the Lion Clan is sort of working towards what they think is best for the Lion Clan, but what everyone thinks is best for the Lion Clan is different.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, just to add on to that, I think that I'm willing to evaluate whether I need to get into the structured time of an intrigue any time that I'm having a set piece social encounter if the PCs are wanting to pursue different things, just like Max said. So... Any sort of banquet scene um, doesn't have to be an intrigue, but again, if you're tracking different people doing different things, that might you know warrant an intrigue. Like a moon viewing party could be run as an intrigue if people are you know splitting up. Um, I I could also see it where you're doing like a courtroom case where it's like you know the magistrate is making an argument. Um, or their yoriki are, are making an argument for or against something. And then you have, um, you know, other people that are trying to, you know, sow rumors, like in the audience, or, you know, anytime that you're have convening court, if there isn't like a really single objective that everyone is is pursuing then you could consider if you need to if you're if you feel like you're going to be jumping around the PCs anyway in terms of spotlighting them at different times and you want to regulate the order in which they go and how long they take and so on and so forth then you can consider an intrigue but if it feels much more natural to just talk and flow and maybe call for a check once or twice over the scene, but mostly people are going to be talking in character, then, you know, respect the inclinations of your group and don't force them into an intrigue if they, if they don't need the structure of like, all right, you go, then you go, then you go. It's like, no, it just naturally appears then you don't need an intrigue.
1: Okay. What are some other ways that momentum is used uh, other, than, other than intrigue? You kind of hint at it in the core book that it could be used in different ways but and in mass battle you have something very much
2: like it.
3: I'd say it's uh pretty much any sort of thing that you can't resolve with a single check honestly. Um
2: do we have complex checks in the game in terms of like getting multiple multiple successes?
0: I, I
3: mean I that that remember. is momentum There's, essentially.
0: The, yeah, there is there okay. is also channeling. Um I'm actually of the opinion that a lot of crafting could be Done that way because there are so many aspects to it, and it's one of those things where I don't think you can take an afternoon and make a sword and making it into something that takes momentum and takes a different set of skills. Yeah, skill checks that makes a lot of sense. Idea. I
3: mean, that's part of the reason in the smithing skill, we don't have roll to make a sword, we have hmm. roll to get the materials, and roll to, um, you know, forge the blade, and roll to refine the blade. You know, without making all yeah. those checks, you won't end up with a sword. And
2: Oh, that's a, a fun thing. So sometimes what I'll do for intrigue, I'll settle on like or other things that use momentum. I'll settle on like five rounds or try to get them to do five checks in order to try to get them to use each of the different elements. Like oh. the poetry competition in Winter's Embrace is run that way, where in order to craft the winning poem you have to do a poetry track check with each approach because you're considering different aspects of the poem, whether you're thinking about the aesthetics or the meaning or the, you know, actual sound of it itself. And for a sword, I think that could work well too. You know, Max is already covering like the different aspects of making a sword, but if you really want to kind of play up the five rings motif or theme, you can use that to help guide, you know, your momentum usage. the poetry
3: contrast is probably my favorite uh, single encounter in any of
0: our pre-written ones, so I just wanted to I just mention that to you guys. I clearly again. have to check that. Is this one of the... Fr- I can't remember which adventure this is. That's one of the ones.
2: Winter's Embrace has the really handsome Mantis Clan man <laughs> on its cover. I'm
0: not, I'm not sure that really helps. <laughs> You're
2: welcome. I don't want to
3: say romance novel pirate, but yes, we do.
2: I didn't say that. Max said that.
1: In, you know, because his card has uh, really bad teeth I figured that that very handsome smile is actually hiding some pretty bad
3: teeth under there. <laughs> <laughs> well, pre-modern settings and all that, Kat wouldn't let me put tooth blackening in the setting, so...
0: Well, yeah, I have to say, if you actually look at what the actual uh, lovely styles that, that that people kind of genuinely wore, it's like, sorry, you, you do what to your eyebrows? <laughs>
2: Yeah, the Princess Kaguya movie, um, by Studio Ghibli, mm. is a great resource for seeing like the ways that you know feminine beauty is applied at the Heian period. Right. But for the most part, uh, L five R art, especially art from the A E G era, mm. certainly doesn't follow those conventions. So I think it would have been, it would have made a lot of art not pick upable if you had gone you know fully fledged Heian period.
0: Yeah! 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 I mean, well, yeah, but even in the, even in the kind of the Sengoku and Edo, mm-hmm. which is really the home of L5R is kind of that, If really on that on that kind of boundary. Uh, but yeah, apparently when you got married, you shaved off your eyebrows, if you're a lady, and then you painted on. New eyebrows halfway up. Before. That was the style. That was the. I'm
1: sure there is some point in Khan's history where that was the style. I, I, I think strange. it's
0: one of those things. It's it's like very few of the men, almost none of the prominent men in the cards. Occasionally, background people will wear the chon, the chonmage, which is the the shaved forehead and the the ponytail being flopped back on top of that, put forward. I mean, it's it's, a, it's if you watch samurai dramas, everyone's wearing it, but it doesn't appear up in the cards.
2: I think that's like that anime and manga influence coming Mm -hmm. through is like how many people with long flowing black hair can we fit or long flowing white hair? I think it's kind of that more romanticized rather than realistic aesthetic.
1: Well, I think we should probably switch back to intrigues. (laughs) 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 So how are focus and vigilance used in an intrigue? Because, uh, We've ended up in many, many discussions uh, on the Discord boards about focus and vigilance, and you know why? Why? Why is focus a stat even that we care about at all, anyway? Um, and when to use what? And and when to use what, especially with regards to an intrigue
3: mechanic? So focus is a good baseline for what it's going to take to sort of slip something past you on a macro scale, vigilance is, you know, like how much are you noticing things in your environment around you, but focus is, you know, like how are you taking in the big picture? How are you noticing, you know, like trends in your environment? So focus, that's why we use it as a baseline for like, you know, what does it take to, you know, achieve an objective against you? It often takes focus. Um, uh, And so characters with higher focus are going to have a, a, you know, stronger, ability to sort of, like, stay on task and not be diverted from what they're doing. Um, uh, vigilance, on the other hand, provides your sort of moment-to-moment reactive, um, you know, awareness. Um, uh, I and mean, the other thing not to underrate, too, is that, you know, focus does um, uh, determine your ability to preempt people in an intrigue, which can be... Um, now, obviously, status plays into that as well, but sometimes you might want to forfeit a little bit of honor to jump ahead of somebody to get out before a bad idea or to you know like get your key objective in before theirs the ability to you know like opt to go first
0: yeah that that, uh, i can see how that would be something you want to do from time to time
3: i mean it also means you can last first people not to get too uh too tactical about it but you know, in miniatures games, it's sort of notorious how powerful the ability to go at the end of one round and the beginning of the next is. And if you have higher mm. focus, you can very likely set up a last first against somebody.
0: Yeah, yes, because you, you, it's almost like getting two, two actions at the same time and you have the advantage. Yeah, yeah, I can see how that can.
2: For me, um, focus and vigilance are much less important in how I plan intrigues. I guess I use them as like a guideline for maybe how I might do things. But I'm a much more like loosey goosey, not using all of the rules at once sort of GM anyway. So for me, you know, depending on my audience, I'll either dig into that mechanical grit if they want to engage with it. Otherwise, um, I'll pull back significantly and, you know, just do something else, do what feels right for me based off of my moods i guess
3: and honestly that's sort of that's intended play too like one of the things about this book again and you know we talked a lot about this when we were designing a cat is we knew a lot of people were going to use it and not everyone was going to want to use every tool set in the book and that's good you know people should for them not use the tools that don't work for them
0: yeah i think i think think that's yeah that's i think that's a good i think some game systems do kind of assume no you're going to use everything because why else would we put it here but to have a Not everyone is going to use them from the sounds of things. I think think a lot of people have been put off by having actual social rules. It's kind of nice to have someone actually say, you "You don't have to if you don't want to. It's fine.
2: Yeah, I would encourage people to ignore the social aspects if they're not interested in doing that or if they want to role play everything out. That's a very common sentiment that I've encountered as well. Well, we just like having conversations to do our role playing Mm -hmm. and our social intrigue. And it's like, that's great. These... You don't need these tools. These tools are for other people that are really uncomfortable with that or really need something more mechanical to dig their teeth into. They can also
3: be tools for the GM, right? Like, at the end of the day, these can be more GM-facing than player-facing. From the player side, they can just be talking, and the GM can just sort of award momentum mm. points as they see appropriate we even talk about that but it's just like for me as a gm if i've got five players doing five things i need to write something down or i'm gonna forget yep. what it was that aaron wanted to do while jesse's <laughs> yeah, talking yeah
0: yeah i think i think that's actually a big key aspect of that i haven't really considered that it's actually more for the gm when yeah you're trying to keep track of a bunch of stuff so okay we're making this an intrigue so i know what's going on mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> that's exactly it
0: uh, I, I i kind of know the answer to this question uh, but I think I think this is something that people want to have. It's a question that comes up because people want it to to like be be sure about it. So this is stances and how they apply in intrigues. Uh, do they apply? And if they do, how do you get people off their one and only favored stance that they try and roll for everything because that's got the most dice? Well,
3: so one important thing to keep in mind with social stuff, with all checks, but it's very prominent with social stuff. In a fight, you know, if I'm fighting with Earth or I'm fighting with Fire. There are advantages, and there are tactical advantages in my opportunities, but ultimately, most of the time, narratively, the GM's not going to enforce specific things, except in certain particular circumstances. On the flip side, with social stuff, though, you can only achieve certain ends with certain rings. If you want to, you know, like, get, you know, trick someone or get the better of them, you're going to have to use air. Um, you don't really have another choice. Um, if you want to sort of like, you know, get someone's you know passions flared up, you're gonna have to use fire. Um, and so if you want to achieve a particular end, you need to do it with a particular ring. Um, and so that's sort of built, built into that, and that's how you get people off their things, is if, you know, somebody says, okay, I want to do this with this person, you as the GM can say, great, that's gonna use this ring, you're gonna need to do that. Um, uh and you know maybe then you negotiate a route where they say well what if i take this other different tack to try to get sort of results for me and then you say maybe okay um, that'll work but the tn will be a little harder that or you uh, do know you like get a stance what bonus? have you. but i think like, it's just important to remember I'm that like you can't, you I, you can't to, get to all places with void stance
1: approach. stance bonuses apply all right, and then the other one is uh, we've talked a bit about this on the Discord is how about the superpower of water? In entries,
3: I I don't think water is more powerful than any of the other elements. I think it has by far the weakest stance bonus for starters. Uh, and well, I, I, I,
0: I, okay, a well, lot that... of people see that. Uh, I think it's it's that separate act, that second action that doesn't as long as it doesn't need a check. Then, then a lot of people see that as being very powerful.
3: In
1: intrigues, though? Well, I, actually, it's it, not in intrigues, but the superpower of water is that it's the charm. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. so you use it for all persuasion. Mm,
2: well, it's not all persuasion, what... though. I mean, okay. um, for an example, I'm trying to convince this person to see something in a logical, rational way. Mm-hmm. That's technically persuading, but it's an earth check.
0: And, and I think also because, I mean, it's not so much persuade, it's charm. So you can kind of like, if, if, you, if, if the way you would do something is to convince them logically, if you use water, they may go, oh, you're really charming. You're dumb because you don't understand the logic, <laughs> but you're, gosh, you're charming. You know? <laughs>
3: so it might... I, I think that's mm-hmm. a good example. So I mean another another way I tend to think about things for um, the social skills right, is right. that uh, one of the limitations of water is that you know sort of like water doesn't get people to act on things. Water kind of gets people to want things, water gets people to you know like think about things in certain ways, but it doesn't really spur people to action, oh, okay um if i want somebody to really do something i'm probably going to need to use another approach but water is going to help me get there so if i want to sort of one 2 punch them i'll start with charm and then i'll go into incite or trick or reason or enlighten because at the end of the day getting somebody to sort of like building a rapport with someone isn't like you know and that's one of the specific examples under games or like um you know cultivating loyalty from someone um These aren't things that are necessarily going to, like, get an action immediately. And they're certainly not going to get them to do something they weren't sort of already inclined to do. Uh, You know, water Mm. flows downhill, right? It sort of takes the easiest path. And that's what you sort of encourage people to do with water socially. You take the easiest path. That's not going to get someone to do something hard or that they don't want to do.
2: Another thing with uh, the charm approach for social skills is that have you ever met someone in real life that's really charismatic and so you're more inclined to do them a favor just because, like, they seem like a really nice person and they asked in a really nice way? That's, I think, the the charm aspect, whereas, like, if someone's trying to get people excited or fired up, the, the incite approach with the fire ring will happen a lot more in terms of, like, you're appealing to their emotions. Um, You know, it's not like I'm just being like flattering, like, oh, you're like, you know, I really liked this thing that you did. You know, I I actually think like, even if you were to phrase it in character, like, oh, I was really impressed with um, the really great job that you did on that poem um, at last night's moon viewing uh, gathering. Um, Would you mind writing me one? Um, Actually could be interpreted as fire because you're trying to like rouse their their emotions specifically of pride and i associate that with fire over water
3: i'm also going to throw out there that i think uh specifically air is a little underrated and here's why the last two bullets on these social skills for air convey an idea mm-hmm. to someone in a deniable way and imply something that a char- to, to a character without stating it outright. And these are really important in Rokugan. You need to be able to tell your boss that you know like you like something without lying to them, right? But like also when you didn't, you know, you need to be able to sort of get your boss to have an idea so that they can be the one to suggest it so that, you know, like they don't have to shoot it down because someone of lower status suggested it. You know, like, these sort of, like, mm-hmm. ways to communicate without um, you sort of, like, exposing yourself to risk are really important, uh, especially in the way L5R set up. And they get you things that just sort of ingratiating yourself to someone never will. You can ingratiate yourself to your boss, but, you know, they're not going to necessarily do your idea because of it. But if they think it's their idea, they're definitely going to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can negotiate with your boss and they might then give you what they think of as a cushy assignment and that's actually not what you wanted at all.
1: Okay, well, this is a question that came in that's sort of related to that, so I'm going to jump ahead and ask him. Uh, People have noticed that air shuji in particular have been noted to be not particularly useful in in campaigns, while fire and earth shuji, I found, are very strong. Is that, you know... Rokugani uh, environmental strength—the reason for the difference in relative strength and weaknesses of different Shuji, or is there more that we're missing about the air suji in particular? Oh, I I
3: just don't agree with that assessment at
0: Cause, all. Because I was thinking, yeah, is this going to be the same as water superpower? What water superpower? You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I just
3: I, I mean, so first start. Okay, two things, and let me lay out my background here. So, like, I spend most of my time working on an extremely competitive okay. game, and. Uh, One of the interesting things about that game is we get enormous amounts of playtest feedback and enormous amounts of live feedback. And one of the really interesting things about that is that even within those huge data sets, there will be weird perceptions that are measurably like that everyone in the community feels this way. And then you look at the numbers and the numbers don't pan out that way. There will be pilots in X-Wing who have like incredibly high pick rates and low win rates. And so one of the interesting things about that is, like, the way groupthink forms, even when you're dealing with really large data sets in competitive communities, it doesn't always line up with reality all that well. Um, so my take on this is air is, AIR is uh, in, in, in competitive game terms, you'd say air is sort of submarining, right? Like, people are underrating it, and probably the people who are using it to great effect are not mentioning how good it is. Um, because they don't want other people to know. Now, L5R is not a competitive game. People don't really do that. Um, but uh, but I do think AIR is is underrated for its Shuji. Um, it, it does stuff that the other Shuji don't do. Uh, AIR lets you communicate with people uh, without people knowing about it, which is incredibly valuable at court. Um, it uh, lets you rapidly accelerate any sort of rumor spreading you want to do. Maybe that's something you don't want to do. But I'd see that as a pretty useful tool in any sort of, uh, you know, like, social game simulation. Um, uh, And it has access to a couple of really useful um, offensive abilities, like prey on the weak. Um, I don't know. I I think error is is quite strong.
1: Okay. Well, that answer's that.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I, I I actually do find it very interesting the way that individual groups do that kind of, we have all decided this is true even if it isn't necessarily true and other, another group might come up with something completely different. That is actually really fast. There's, there's a sociology paper in this
2: for someone. Uh, Yeah. I I think another way to look at it is that I, I agree with what Max is saying. I think that it might not get as much mileage in certain groups if they're not doing social scenes where cadence is useful, or if they completely ignore spreading rumors or picking up rumors, um, you know if if you're not running a a very socially complicated game, you might not get as much airledge, airledge, <laughs> mileage. <laughs> out of uh, Air Shuji. So that that might be a possible culprit for the perception as if people aren't interfacing with those aspects of their story.
3: Mm. I could definitely see that. And I mean, you know, the other interesting thing too is, again, with like overpoweredness in role-playing games, again, unless you're, let's be honest, unless you're Dungeons & Dragons, you're not dealing with a data set large enough to draw meaningful conclusions about overpoweredness. Like, because, you know, you're just that nobody is getting the amount of table time to really draw that um, i mean maybe pathfinder but i don't even know about them these days so it's you know it it it's a it's a very it's a very perception based thing and every table's going to have their own meta so if one person is able to really make a particular build sing it's going to look overpowered and actually, that's another interesting thing we see in X-Wing, too. That a lot of the times, the reportedly overpowered stuff will be stuff that performs well mm. at, like, an in-store level, but doesn't really make the cut at, like, bigger events. And so that's a really interesting phenomenon, too, that, like, your, your yeah. local environment is going to alter your perception far more than, you know, the sort of, like, platonic ideal that exists out there. Um, uh, but, uh, mm. yeah, so it, it, it's... It's, a, it's an interesting topic, and I think that, you know, I, I definitely personally don't feel that air is underpowered, but I, uh, you know, if someone else has had a different experience at their table, I can't say they're, like, wrong per se, because it's also subjective.
2: Yeah. I think also different kinds of players, like, I am a power gamer, despite all of my love of story that, that I do while GMing, but as a power gamer... If I have air shuji, I am going to be like looking at everything as though they are nails and my air shuji are hammers. So I think that depending on the type of player, to Max's point about making builds sing, they'll be creative in their problem solving of how they can apply those shuji. And I see that at conventions all the time, people who are picking up a character that they don't normally get to play, and they come up with these crazy clever ideas for how to apply their techniques because that's what they have available to Mm -hmm. them.
0: Yeah, there's, there's a, really a lot to be said for throwing someone uh, a character they're unfamiliar with and seeing what they can do with it and then taking notes and going, well, I could do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, yeah, the people two, two people can play the exact same character in the exact same scenario, just completely different.
2: Exactly. Okay,
0: okay so... Sounds good. I, moving on to another question. Um, I'm going to go for the, the next one. Well, I think we have touched on this a little bit, but... Um, one of the questions we have been getting role play first or role first when you are describing your actions in an entry. And I have a couple of opinions on this one myself, but we'll start with you guys. For
2: I think it's totally dependent on your group and what their instinct is. I would go with that. Yeah. Whatever people are just naturally doing at the table and that's fine. And that's great. And they should do the, the style that they enjoy.
3: I can speak to what I encourage in my Mm. players, but I completely agree with Cap. Basically, if you're all having fun, you're doing it right. Um, uh, But uh, what I encourage, and I think works pretty well, is um, uh, Mm -hmm. role play, roll the dice, editorial revisions based on opportunity spends. Um, So, you know, for instance, I'll have them, like, say what they want to say in their character voice if they want to, or describe what they're saying if they don't want to, and then they roll... And then I'll say, okay, so you failed, but you failed with a bunch of opportunity, so let's look at that opportunity and say, okay, you know, like what can you what do you want to add to that that you, you know, think you you've got this opportunity you could spend. Like what do you want to add something? Do you want to ask a different question? Do you want to go in a different direction? And then we'll go back to role play a little bit and then we'll resolve this opportunity.
0: Hmm. Right, right. I mean, my my opinion comes from a couple of times when I was playing a the, the social character. This is actually in Shatteron, but uh, which is a, a high tech, high magic system for people who don't know it. And I was playing the face character, and every so often I'd be going in there and I'd, I'd be, you know, role playing out, acting out this very confident, very smooth character, and then I'd roll the dice and I'd roll terribly, and it would feel really weird to have been playing this very Very very, you know, smooth character. Who then you then have to come up with a reason why did that fail? And there are times when I felt it was much easier to roll. Go, I have rolled badly. Okay, and then I role play my character actually screwing up. If you, you yeah, which 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 I I there are times. Admittedly, this is this is if you are comfortable with playing a very social character and role playing a very social character. And then and and you are willing to kind of go, Oh, I rolled badly. Fine, I'll roleplay having rolled badly, as opposed to I was really persuasive there, that should be reflected in the game mechanic.
2: Well, that's interesting because in that case your dice are reflecting your competency, mm-hmm. not necessarily the reception.
0: Yes, because that is the other thing. Because 'cause I've also had the exact same the 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 that situation as a GM where someone's done all the right things is actually in l5r so someone's done all the right things and they're role-playing very much to the oh, same thing yeah. and they're they you know giving out just doing all the right things and then they roll appallingly badly and i suddenly have to improvise why did that gift completely aggravate the person they're giving the gift to which is sometimes quite hard
2: i mean you know like you can kind of go back to a real life social situations for these kinds of things like I'm an anxious person so I tend to like think about how people reacted to what I say or you know how they didn't react and try to figure that out but it's like somebody could just have a headache Mm. and you know like it it isn't me at all and like becoming okay with the fact that I can't you know control how people receive things like you don't know how much sleep they've got what kind of like Feeling they have if, like, you've accidentally brought, dredged up some memory that is really upsetting for them, like, bringing up rats as, like, a a joke in, like, role-playing games and then realizing that, like, in real life this person, like, has rats in their house and it's, like, really upsetting for them right now. Um, Yeah, I
0: I seem to call – the thing I came up with on the fly was the gift you gave was a kite. He hates kites. You could not have known that. It's just unfortunate. And yeah. that, that worked okay, but it, it, sometimes I think I think it was just the, the kind of oh uh, uh, I have to do something now. Uh,
3: Another uh, thing I'll do in that uh, time too, and this you know this one you don't want to tell your players you do this um, because it uh, ruins the the grand illusion of parody, But um, uh, let them succeed at cost. Um, you know we don't have a hard codified succeed at cost mechanic, but. Sometimes it's more narratively satisfying and fitting. Um, And in cases like that, you know, it's just like, oh yeah, you do give this really good gift. Uh, As a result, you get uh, this high prestige assignment. That's also really dangerous.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. The, the, the kind of um, you have, you have over succeeded. You haven't failed. You've over succeeded. That's why it's a bad result. Sort
3: of thinking about the classic, um, the classic mistake every you know everybody I know has made running D and D early on in their career, where they like punish a player for a nat twenty essentially because it's funny and they over succeeded, and hopefully <laughs> yes. it's too bad a case. Mm. But anyway, you can kind of do that with a like dramatically unsatisfying failure where it's like eh, you succeed, but you might not like what happens.
0: Yeah, yeah 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 I think I think actually it, it, a succeed with cost thing the kind of the fail forward uh is is um, I, I like that as a mechanism and it's obviously quite a good thing to to uh to, I think that's yeah if, if you can find a way of doing that that also helps in situations where yeah you did all the right things but still you failed badly which even in combat is like why is my completely awesome mega fighter fumbling what happened and yeah Here's what might have happened.
2: So so what's interesting in those cases too is that if, if there's a good role-playing aspect like R-O-L-E mm-hmm. playing, I would say go ahead and reduce the TN yeah. or maybe don't even have them roll. Like I do that a lot in social encounters. Yeah. It's like if you said the precise thing that so-and-so wanted to hear or if they wanted to do that anyway and they're inclined to like you – don't make the people roll for it. It's just like, oh, like they were already inclined to do that sort of thing. Or, you know, you gave them exactly the argument Mm. that like they needed to understand in order to do this. And then it's like you reward the role playing R.O.L.E., you know, and maybe you don't have them roll to present their kite at all. If you as a GM have decided that this will automatically go well. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: That's true. You can always sort of snag their... um result and give them another action i mean that's a a trick i've done where like when somebody does something this is more common in combat like some of my players you know they they enjoy combat sort of by doing like clever things rather than fighting most of the time and like a lot of the time um you know i'll like try to encourage that by um because i know they don't enjoy just sort of the you know roll to swing your sword as much i'll encourage that by you know, basically giving them an extra action. It's like, yeah, technically what you're... The, this clever thing you're doing should be an action, but, like, you know, it's not impactful enough to really warrant eating your whole turn. So let's just say that you do this, and then you get to swing your sword. Uh, oh, you hit or miss, you know? Or, oh, you do this, and then you get to do this other thing. And it, you know, it helps with their engagement. You can do the same thing with, like, if somebody roleplays what should have succeeded at the task they wanted to do, you can spin that forward into, like... Okay, actually, yeah, you just succeed at that. What do you? How do you want to build on that? What do you want to do next? And then if they flub that, then at least it's like, mm-hmm. okay, they succeeded at the part that they should have succeeded at. And they failed. It, they failed to capitalize on it.
1: I think, especially in uh, fifth edition, there's so much game and mechanic space given to plumbing the deep psychology of your NPCs. If if you've done three different things to learn everything there is to know about this person over here and you don't know how best to interact with him mm. by the time you get there, you know, you, you've, you've given up a lot of actions just to, you know, find out they're neary, it, Geary and Nino and all this other stuff. You should be able to use it mm. and not make a role to flub up yeah. what you give them when you're giving them the thing that they've been wanting for
0: yeah, yeah.
1: ever, for example. So, um, Oftentimes, it sounds like you've got a group that that likes to do uh, infighting. But uh, I have to admit, for for my parties, uh, we like saving the world a lot. Uh, you know, that's that's what we we do in Rokugan, and so p- our group of PCs is usually on the same page, and they don't do a lot of backstabbing within the group. What? How do you set the TNs for? any of these momentum goals when you have a whole group of PCs trying to do the exact same thing.
3: I encourage them to split those objectives up into multiple things that will achieve the overarching strategic goal they want. So instead of them all saying, we want to persuade this person, I will say, great. You're going to need to break that down into a couple steps. One of you is going to need to get that person to even be willing to talk to you by distracting the person they want to talk to, one of you is going to have to figure out what that person wants and then bring it to the other person. And then the other one's going to have to go chat up that person and make a good rapport with them so that you can convince them to do the thing you want. You can always split objectives finer if you want to. And that's how I've found to make, you know, it not just like, they're all just slamming on one, you know, NPC with Persuade over and over again you make it so that there are sort of gates they have to get through, right? It's like, you're going to have to succeed over here, you're going to have to succeed over here, you're going to have to succeed over here. Mm. If players A and B succeed but C fails, you'll get some of what you wanted, but okay. yeah. you won't get all of okay, it. Okay,
0: that makes sense.
2: How do you get players that want to do the same thing? I need the secret. <laughs> <laughs> Save the world. Oh, you find <laughs> <that
0: happens. laughs> I think it's it's similar to, they see it like a combat encounter, you know we are all working together to stop the goblins from eating our faces, and only this is we're all yep. acting together to stop the the doji from make us look like idiots or getting getting the thing you know
3: that's That's so interesting. even when my groups aren't infighting, like half the time, half the players will just be like doing their own thing, like, I want to use this opportunity to pursue my romantic subplot. Or, like, I want to use this opportunity to, uh, you know, like, just make myself look good at this party. Or, like, you know, try to personally enrich myself, or pursue my, you know, backstory interest, or whatever. I don't know, it's interesting. That's that's, that's a funny group dynamic thing.
1: Different groups are definitely uh, different in that regard, so I think okay. part of it might be that... Uh, you know, one of the benefits, I suppose, of being able to work at FFG and and work at and GM at conventions and stuff is that you have very high focus, high interest, high excitement uh, mm. role players, and uh, that's not the luxury of every gaming group. That's true. Uh, you have, mm. uh, there are certainly people who just want to sit back and you know, roll their dice,
0: suck and you pretzels.
1: Yeah, you know, t- t- yeah tell me when to tell me when to roll the dice I'll roll the dice and and to listen to the stories that evolve mm. rather than um steering it their way
2: mm-hmm. that's the beauty of it right is everyone can uh engage with the game as much or as little as they want to yeah yeah
0: right I think, I think it's important that that people are able to do that um in terms of we've been comparing intrigues to combats a couple of times uh How often do you, how often do you run intrigues, less than you do in combats, as combats more than you do combats, um, like one every session. Totally
2: depends on the campaign premise. Yeah, I've run.
3: Yeah, I mean, one of them like it was fighting every session. Another one, it was intrigue in every session. Combat.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think that the most intrigues I've ever run in a single session was two intrigues in a four-hour span because when I run Winter's Embrace, like the first part of it, first half at conventions, I'll get the tea ceremony where I use an intrigue to introduce how checks work. And then I've got the poetry competition, which is like the climax for that adventure part. And so that'll be two in one four-hour block. But I think it's much more likely that I will do one intrigue every other or every three sessions like I don't think that it I, I certainly don't aim to have one every session unless I have characters unless I have players that really want to engage with that subsystem and are up to no good uh, all the time
1: shenanigans
0: yep when when <laughs> are players up to no good how dare you <laughs>
1: So, um, in combat, there are duels, which are very focused one-on-one combats with special rules. Um, Is there uh, a duel style that you could do for intrigues?
2: You mean haiku rap battles?
0: Clearly, yeah. It could
2: be that. Uh, (laughs) I'll let Max answer.
1: How would that that work?
3: Uh, So... There's no really no reason you couldn't do that. Uh, you'd obviously need to adapt the rules a bit. I mean, you could run any sort of contest as a duel if you wanted to. Um, uh, I, uh, I haven't explored much with that, but I think the short answer is it would be pretty straightforward to homebrew. You'd just want to change finishing blows into something thematically appropriate that doesn't involve cutting the other person's head off, probably.
2: Zing. You mean like sick burn? <laughs> Zinger. Uh,
3: exactly. There you go. Yeah, you get to <laughs> Zinger, apply some like unpleasant condition to them or something. Um, I, I think that would probably function. I mean, again, the rules are pretty... Um, you might need to come up with new actions, um, but the structure of the rules should work. It's pretty flexible, and we designed all of the conflicts together sort of as like to follow a shared overarching structure um so i mean you could sort of import the stare down into uh import some of the actions from intrigues import stare down you might still want to have momentum just so that you have pressure to like do stuff other than just wear down each other's composure so i'd probably do something where you're trying to get Some I mean, I think this would probably be most useful for, like, a courtroom situation. I'm having Phoenix Wright flashes here. Um, So, you know, you have, like, two people trying to persuade a judge or something, essentially. Yeah, that's a
1: scenario that I would think would actually be most common for something like this.
3: So if if you wanted to do that, yeah, you'd probably set a, Mm. you know, like, number of momentum points they need to achieve with uh, various actions to the judge slash, you know, actions against each other. Um, You'd set a social objective, um, but then you'd also have the opportunity to sort of have them deliver a sick burn that maybe, you know, knocks out some number of the opponent's momentum points, or maybe it's an auto-disqualification. I mean, you'd need to figure out the, like, particulars of how those two things work. Other than that, I think you could pretty much just run it with the rules um, as they are with those elements imported in. I mean, that probably wouldn't work exactly as written you'd need to tailor it a little bit but i i think that would function
2: yeah i don't think that we have like a deadliness analog in social checks
0: no no i think that's yeah you don't really have a yeah you don't have critic you don't really have social criticals as such
3: well, you yeah. could, you could do something with focus here, and have it uh, have it be that you can knock out a number of momentum points equal to their equal to your focus, or something, or you know, something like that.
0: You can you can you can you can inflict social scars, which is like everyone remembers how that that sick burn every time you walk into the room. Everyone oh. Remember and everyone remembers I think someone said yeah 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 yeah."
3: Yeah, that's (laughs) a solid idea for an encounter pretty well again you need need to homebrew a bit I think it would be it sounds fun (laughs) I'd play it
2: yeah that would be interesting too um if you think about the fact that opportunities are going to come up maybe as a GM you spend a little bit of time thinking about what are some two plus opportunity symbol Mm. ways that your players can spend it um you know, as part of your prep for that scene and it, maybe you're involving the audience, maybe you're involving the, um, you know, like the judge or whoever is in the scene or like even the the person accused, you know, to think about different ways that you can interact with the environment. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, same. Okay.
1: Cool. I wasn't sure if it was something that you guys had ever thought. Of OK,
0: so. yeah,
3: I think we discussed the fact that duels could be done for now. The, the rules would work that way, but we didn't we didn't mm-hmm. explore it deeply
0: um this is not so much intrigues just intrigues this is something to do with social the social kind of rules as a whole and i I, this is a thing that i i can see but you can have shuji and intrigues and opportunities and role-playing all kind of sort of being able to do the same thing when do you use which like if you want to spread a rumor that can be done by, you can have a full intrigue or you can just role play it or you can be, it can, there's specific opportunities for that kind of thing. Yeah. Sometimes so I think it's not entirely obvious but, which one you Shoo-G? use when.
3: There, so there's a design philosophy behind this actually. Um, this was important to us with Shuji. Shuji generally don't let you do anything you couldn't do anyway, because role playing exists. I mean, sometimes there are things that most GMs would say no to that Shuji let you do, but that's about it. Um, And, you know, they don't really let you do anything a flexible GM wouldn't let you do anyway. Um, uh, What they generally let you do is do it faster, do it at the same time as you do something else, that's through opportunity spends, um, or do it um, uh, in a, like, in a way that's sort of outside of normal scope. So something like, there's no reason, you know, the immovable hand of peace lets you stop a fight. There's no reason you couldn't make a check to do that. Um, but, you know, this lets you, but probably I'd say, boy, that's a, that's going to take some momentum points. It's going to take a couple rounds. The technique just lets you do it and you're done. Um, uh, you know, spreading a rumor, like, well, it depends who you want to spread a rumor about. If you just want to, you know, sort of like idly spread some rumor for some nebulous reason down the road, I'd probably just have you make a check or maybe you even just role play telling somebody a thing and, you know, I roll to see if it spreads, um, but if you're, you know, trying to spread a rumor about someone significant, you know, you're probably going to use the social objective to do it because it's narratively weighty and you know important. So it should be reasonably interesting to do. Um, and if uh, you have the shuji that lets you do it with opportunity, then you can do it more efficiently. Um,
0: mm, I th- yeah, I think I think another because you were saying you could do it faster and stuff. I thought also. I think having it as a technique means you can do it consistently, which is another aspect. Whereas, so or just saying oh, I'm going to make a check, that's going to be very down to GM interpretation. Whereas, so, well, I have a technique; it says right here that I can do this. I think that exactly.
3: Yeah. But yeah, no. When we were designing Shuji, I mean, that was something. Cat, we had. A, I remember we had a mm. long conversation about this. That like we didn't. Shuji aren't magic. You know, they don't let you do something that you couldn't do otherwise. They just let you do it more efficiently, or more mm-hmm. quickly, or more. You know, like Yeah, because at the end of the
2: day, like spreading a rumor or conveying something secretly, just to use the two ex- uh, air shuji that we talked about earlier in the show, again, depending on the group, they might be really cool with, with role-playing that out, but there might be other groups that aren't as comfortable getting into the shoes and headspace of their character, and so being able to say that they use a technique is just a more comfortable way for them to interface with that activity
3: also another reason that shuji exists is for the same reason that most things exist you know like there's no reason you really need a specific kata to say you want to knock your sword out of the opponent's hands Mm. like you know in a game i'm running if someone said they wanted to do that i'd say great you can make a martial arts check here's your difficulty but if they have a technique on their character sheet that says they can do it they'll think to do it Um, And so it's not just a... It's not just a, you know, sort of like a a power in a tactical sense. It's a reminder that this is the sort of thing you can be doing. But it's also not meant to be a prescriptive list. You know, like, just because something is listed in a technique doesn't mean you couldn't do it otherwise, generally, unless we're talking about, like, actual magic. Although most of those things you could accomplish via some other means. It just would be different. Um, uh, Or, uh, you know... um, Sorry, I lost my train of thought. But anyway, yes, um, it, it's not a it's not a full uh, prescriptive list of like the things your character can do. It's you know like it's a menu <laughs> of examples, but you should feel free to expand on that menu and you know branch out in, into things that yeah. we don't talk about.
1: Okay, I n- I know that that has been a, a problem. When I first picked up the game system and was reading through it, uh, I was like, okay i listen to rumors all the time do i need to buy this shuji Mm. and order and have a role and get these opportunities just so i would have the opportunity to listen to rumors when i go to a new town um and what does it mean if i don't have it and and that was certainly something that i felt like i was forced to Buy the shuji in order to uh, be able to do those things. When I first picked up Fizo. But it, it's good to know. But
0: you, yeah, so you don't have to, but it can be can be useful. I, I I kind of feel that there's a. I feel that I could I could make a hierarchy, which is kind of like, um, if you've got like your if it's your capstone school ability, that's the best way of doing a thing. The next best is the school ability, and then technique, and then the skill, and then Opportunity, you know, if you see what I mean. So, so, which is more to do with if someone else is trying to oppose you, I guess.
3: Yeah, that makes sense to me. The more limited the access is to it, the better you should be able to do it. The harder, you know, the more trouble it was to get it, the better it should yeah. be, right?
0: Yeah, that was so. So, there's a lot of things like well, you can do it. You're better at it if you've got the actual skill. You're better at it if you've got the actual technique. You're better at it if it's a school thing.
1: So, like, the spreading rumors one, if two people were spreading a rumors the one who actually had the technique to spread the rumors should win, right? Yeah. Counteracting
3: rumors.
0: Yeah. I think uh, that's kind of how, yeah.
3: Generally. I mean, oh, yeah. it would depend on circumstances, too. Probably I'd, I'd, you know, make it easier for the other one to do it. Like, oh, mm-hmm. you have to spend your action trying to do this, and then they get to spend opportunity yeah, yeah, from yeah. their action doing something else to counteract you.
2: Yeah, I'd say I'd use the techniques as one of the criteria that I'm using to assess what happens.
0: Okay.
3: And, you know, they could still beat you, but, you know, they'd have to roll really well and waste their time doing it, and you might be, like, busy, you know, chatting someone up about your, you know, like, side thing you're pursuing while simultaneously trying to fend off their rumors.
1: So a lot of these have to do with... uh time a time pressure to do it how do you how do you keep that time pressure for these actions it's like you have as much time as to do a role-playing thing or not i mean
3: for again so if it's an intrigue i'll generally Mm. tell the players how many rounds they have at the start um or that they have a time limit Mm -hmm.
2: um
3: uh for role-playing I mean that's a tricky thing, right? And you can probably speak to this more, Kat, um, uh, because you run with more groups of different people. Um, uh, but uh, but I um, I mean I think you just sort of have to manage different people's uh, time in that, right?
2: I think the real thing to consider in terms of time pressure is. N- backing up not just from time but stakes in general mm-hmm. um maybe there aren't time constraints because it really isn't there aren't a lot of things that could go wrong or there aren't a lot of things that are being risked but I think as a GM you know it the the trick is to figure out um what else will go on while you lazily you know, spread rumors and, you know, what are it really comes down to what are the other NPCs up to? Because taking your time to spread a rumor, um, they might have already destroyed your reputation and cast you out of the court if you're playing, I don't know, like Qden Bayushi doing like a Scorpion Clan something and, <laughs> and they don't want you there. But it, you do want to consider narratively what are the other. Forces in the game doing and how does that interact with the PCs? And if you don't have anything else going on um, and you feel like that's a problem, then maybe consider what additional um, major players and movers and shakers you want to have in there and considering their ninja and their Giri and how that touches or derails what the PCs want to do. So it's, it is it is kind of incumbent on the GM to make sure that there are reasons for the PCs to want to act in an expedient manner, but maybe your play style, that doesn't really make sense.
1: Okay. Well, thank you. That clarifies a lot, actually.
2: <laughs> Good. I'm glad.
1: <laughs> That's really it for our, our questions. Mm-hmm. I have a few other ones, but you've answered them in the progress process of answering all these questions. Yeah uh we really appreciate you taking the time and talking with us today it's been uh, it's been great and been challenging for people to dig into but uh now we've got lots more information How
2: yeah you i've gotten a lot of questions surrounding intrigues and rather than typing out the response to each person individually i'm really glad that you set this up so that we could take the time and kind of just cover it i'm sure not once and for all but maybe <laughs> just
1: <laughs> maybe not <laughs> Yeah, I imagine.
2: Oh, I imagine
0: yeah.
1: I, I'm certainly <laughs> hoping this well, becomes a, re-
0: a resource for people who have been having difficulties and, and, and have questions they want up. I mean, think This really helps a lot of people. If anything great. comes up
1: during the summer season or you know conventions or anything, and, and you have other topics which have tons of questions, feel free to let us know and we'll be happy to ask you yeah. <laughs> interview again.
3: Well, like I said, I, I, would, uh, I would love to All go right. through and do a, uh, a building, a school with the
0: rules from Path of Waves. All right. So before we shut up shop and head off home, um, is there anything you guys would like to plug? Uh, You know, how can people find you out on the interwebs, that kind of thing?
2: Sure, so I have um, my blog, triplecrit.com, has lots of advice articles about game mastering and role-playing, it even has some guidance for um, running social encounters, building those stakes um, that I was talking about and running NPCs, you can find that again at TripleCrit.com. Otherwise, feel free to follow me at lindevi on Twitter, and yeah, you should uh buy some L five RPG books. Yes, indeed.
3: I was gonna say we've just got uh, we've got uh we've got Path of Waves out and uh, Celestial Realms announced. So.
2: <laughs> Celestial Realms is so cool. Uh yeah, Path of I Waves. I can't wait for that.
3: Sorry, I, yeah. I, really I have a question excited. for you two. Where do you stand on the Ishiken
0: issue? Uh, uh, as in, what aspect of them? Um,
3: as in, do you consider... Are, are, are you in one of the only two camps I've identified, which is they're the best class in the game or they're the worst and no one in my games is allowed to play them?
0: I, I, I'm I of the opinion that they're an interesting flavor. I, I I think... I don't like the idea that they're the super mega best and everyone should be one. I think they should be specialists... And feel like specialists, and you feel like you're doing something kind of different and interesting. But it doesn't really replace being a standard elemental shugenja.
1: I think that they're good, but only if you're playing the most um, non-adventurous. I, I, I don't like the the uh, gaming party with four Ishikan and uh, a <laughs> duelist.
0: Yeah, four ishiken, a tagashi monk, <laughs> uh, a a male crab, uh, utaku battle maiden. Because why not? Who's who's also a kitsune? Who's pretending to be a colat? Who's pretending to be a shishira actor?
2: <laughs> wow! So, so. <laughs> 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 yeah, that like, like what's party. your campaign plot? Like good luck. <laughs> <laughs> so so they're a, they're
1: a handle with with care, and I like I think I like them with a drawback. So I have played one once, and she was uh, quite the little chubby sinner. um, Didn't quite do much of anything, actually. (laughs) She just wanted to stay home. Yeah.
2: Um, You mean she didn't have her name used by an oni to enter the mortal realms after accidentally being a conduit for otherworldly forces?
1: No, the world is scary, and she wanted to stay home with her parents and make sake.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm... I'm actually very interested to see how it's going to be done, and I don't, I don't want any spoilers. I want to I see how it, when it comes out how it's going to be done in L5 5th edition. That'll be quite interesting, the actual specific mechanism.
3: Well, with no spoilers, they are different. They are different. different.
2: Yeah, I think Max came up with some really great ideas for that. I'm
0: going to tell you. Awesome. I'm going to tell you the one thing. I, the question I want to want I want to know because there are people who are out there who aren't using their real name, like shosuro actors, like uh, Kitsune impersonators, Kola deep deep cover people. What happens if someone tries to use? Because you can you can give your name to an oni, or you can give an, someone else's name if you've saved their life or you've got that kind of bond with them. What happens if you use someone's name? And it turns out it's not their real name. There's a question I want answered.
3: <laughs> well, Kat, uh, head of story, uh, what's the answer?
0: <laughs> well, maybe we, can, maybe we can do that another time.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not going to answer that. I, I got to keep you guys in suspense. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> um, anything for yourself, Max? For plugs or. Oh uh, yeah, so um, yeah,
3: I'm not uh, not quite as uh, present on the internet as as Kat, but um, she sets a high standard that uh, I think we can all try to emulate. Uh, but I am on Twitter uh, at MaxCBrook Brook, um, and uh, I'm still answering the L Five R Rules questions. So as things come up, feel free to send them my way.
0: Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. Right. So thanks very much for coming on. This has been awesome it really has
1: well i think that's that's it for us we very much appreciate you being on uh farewell uh yeah thanks for having us uh this is signing off kikita kaur may the fortunes favor you
0: and i've been corva and until we meet again keep your jade handy